Good morning. Hey, welcome to Fortico Church. How was your weekend? You're all here. I see that now. Um, hey, my name's Jason. Uh, it's my privilege to welcome you to worship this morning. Maybe you've been here before, maybe you haven't, don't care. Maybe you're joining us online from your home. We want to welcome you. And what I'm going to ask you to do today is to join us in God's Word. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 27 through 43. I'm going to catch us up. We skipped over some stuff, but I'm going to catch us up on that. But that's where we're going today. And one of the things that we see Nehemiah to do today, it's almost inappropriate. Um, Nehemiah celebrates. And there's not a lot of reason for him to do so. And I think if any part of Nehemiah maybe resonates, this really hits us. Because think about how we've walked through the last 18 months together. Let's just call it the 2020. How excited are you to celebrate anything? We are and we aren't. We want to celebrate. Something tells us we should. But we also know that we have to be really cautious because we've learned the hard way that doom is on the horizon. So we've taught ourselves not to celebrate. We've taught ourselves you better be really careful about celebrating. And we'll say things like this, and it's really, it's really a process of turning a blessing into a curse. We'll take progress and we'll, we'll make it into a curse. We'll say things like, this is really basic, but I'm so excited I lost four pounds, but probably going to gain it back. Hey, you know what? Portico Church got this awesome building, but probably going to lose it. That's not a prophecy. Just using as an example. <laughs> hey, Abilene, is it Abilene Christian? Is in the final four? Did they win? I, I don't even know. Did they win? Oh, they won. They really did? Wow. I mean, who would have said that? They're in there, but, you know, they're too small to win. Friends, celebration seems really silly when your future is uncertain, doesn't it? Because you don't want to celebrate too hard because what if? You know it's around the corner. Is that a problem? I don't know. Because after everything that Nehemiah experiences, they break out today in a celebration that is prolific. It makes Coachella look tame, kind of. By the way, they're going to sell tickets again. Celebration is important, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's not. But we're going to walk through this today, chapter 12, verses 27 through 43, and we're going to see God's people engage celebration in the strangest of circumstances. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump right into the text. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. And we come with a very simple request. Would you open up your law for us, that we might behold its beauty, that we might see it as treasure, that we might experience it as living and active and as the reader and filler of our souls. 
We commit this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So before I read this, there's three basic movements. Well, there's actually just two basic movements in our text today. The first part's a dedication. So they're going to dedicate basically the wall. And then they're going to celebrate. So we'll walk through that. I'm just going to pre-read it, get the text out here so you can see what's going on. I'll catch us up where we are in the story. And then we're going to walk through this and try to understand what they're doing. So I'll pick up right in verse 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netaphanites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then, this is Nehemiah speaking, then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went south on the wall to the dung gate, and after them went Hashaiah and half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah and Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, and the certain of the priest's sons with trumpets. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Machaiah, son of Zakur, son of Asaph. And his relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Mei, Nethanel, Judah, and Hanani, with musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. Verse 38. And the other choir, so there's two choirs. First one went south on the wall. The other one goes north. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north. And I followed them with half the people on the wall, above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yeshana, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God. So both of these choirs circumvented, or circ they went around Jerusalem and then down and probably to the temple courtyard. And I and half of the officials of, with me and the priests, Elakam, Maseah, Minamin, Mechaiah, Eliani, Zechariah, and Hananiah, with trumpets, and Messiah, and Shemaiah, Elazar, Uzai, Johanan, Malkajah, Elam, and Azar. And the singers sang with Jezreiah, their leader. And they offered great sacrifices. So they're doing sacrifices. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy 
the women and the children also rejoiced. So this is the entire community. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. For the life of me, I can't justify what they did. This is why Nehemiah left Babylon. This is why he left a cushy job with the world power of Persia. It wasn't to build the wall, it was for worship. He wanted to get the people of God before the presence of God to experience the power of God in real personal worship. So let's deal with this. First, we see a dedication. We have to understand this. Let me catch our story up a little bit because we did jump a chapter or two and I want to catch us up in that. I just, I can only do so many names. I'm just going to tell you that right now. I'm named out. Um, But what's happened is, if you remember last week, we see the people of God are basically committing themselves or obligating themselves to God because God is in covenant with them. And so they're basically saying, we will live our lives in light of God's grace and his love for us. And we surrender our stories completely and entirely to him. So we see this obligation, which flows into a repopulation. We didn't read this part, but the people of God actually move back into Jerusalem. Some people go willingly, and there's also a lottery to get other people in there. Because it's not just about building the wall, it's about reestablishing the temple and worship. So there's repopulation that goes in. And then today we see the dedication. So let me just read chapter 10, verse 38 and 39, because it gives us a feel of what we've missed, the repopulation and how people are moving back in and what their heart posture was. Verse 10, 38 says, And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. So they're making provision for the temple and for the Levites who are basically um, managing it. 39, for the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. Big idea. We will not neglect the house of our God. So Israel is all in. Not just because they think it's a good idea or because Nehemiah obligated them to it, because they believe in their heart of hearts that God is absolutely connected to them, committed to them, in covenant with them, and they're all in and they've surrendered their stories to God. So they're committed. And then we see this show up in verse 27. They consecrate themselves to God. It's not just enough there's a commitment. They they set themselves apart for God. So I want you to look at who Nehemiah calls in. Two people that you wouldn't expect to be together. One is the Levites and the other is the singers. Very different roles, wildly different. You don't really think about them in the same sentence. So the Levites were the tribe of Levi. So they are the people that would have been the priests. So they oversee sacrificial system, and they have one job, to prepare the people for the presence of God. That's it. So God is in the camp. He's present. He's going to fill the temple. He's going to meet his people. And the Levites, who are basically the priests, and remember the priests represent the people before God, 
And they, their job is to bring the people before the presence of God in worship. And one of the main ways they do that is they make sacrifice. They atone for sin. They remove that massive gap between God's holiness and where they are. And they do it with sacrifice. And so the Levites, that kind of makes sense, but they're making purification, not just for the people and for themselves, but also for the walls and the gates. They're consecrating it all to God. So if the Levite's job is to basically um, prepare the people for God's presence, the singer's job is to celebrate God's presence with the people. So they're worship leaders. They are bringing people who are brought into the presence of God. They're helping them celebrate. That is their job. They're, let's celebrate. They would have been singing psalms probably across the entire wall to celebrate the presence of God and his work. Um, let's just understand what this purification is. I, we, it just doesn't make sense to us. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 10 here, this is Israel before God at Sinai. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them, set them apart today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. From the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people and you shall set limits for them. They're gonna be in my presence, Moses, and get them ready. There's purification. This needs to happen. And this is what the Levites are doing for the people right here before they celebrate because they're gonna be in the presence of God. Here's where I think this might intersect with our experience. Man, I sat in the sun yesterday. I think I got a sunburn. I love the sun. It just, it just lifts me up, right? The sun is beautiful. The sun is powerful. The sun is responsible for every piece of life on this globe. The sun creates photosynthesis. The sun creates every weather, weather pattern in the world. We cannot exist without the sun. However, if we were to bridge that gap, that 93 million mile gap between the earth and the sun, before you got too close, you would be absolutely consumed by it. You cannot stand before it. You can't stand on it. Its power, just by its nature, is immense. And as you approach the sun, this glory of the sun would consume you just by its very nature. Try to understand that this is what's happening with God. His holiness, his power, his beauty, his purity, his magnificence. Right? He made the sun. Right? So it, it well exceeds that in infinite ways. And he set his love on Israel, on his people, and they're going to meet him. So there's a purification that deals with their sin before they can be in his presence. Have you made any decisions this last week based on God's holiness? I'm going to have to say probably no. For me, God's holiness just isn't his otherness. I want you to think of it as his character, his beauty, his power. Everything that you want, everything that you long for that you can't even explain. It's God's holiness. And so they set apart themselves and the wall and even the gates. Purify. How do they purify themselves? Well, we could go through the Old Testament and look at it. There's ritual washings and other things that really image how the blood of Christ covers us. 
and how the blood of Christ closes that gap and how the blood of Christ makes us ready to be in the presence of God. Because yes, you can go to the sun. If you're in a vessel that can handle it, you can orbit the sun, but we don't have one. Friends, we are meant to be in the presence of God in Christ through faith. That's how we're, now this is jumping way ahead of Nehemiah, but it's blatantly pointing there. We are meant to be purified in Christ. We are meant to be righteous in Christ. So they're purifying themselves. The singers are being prepared to bring people not just into the presence of God, but to celebrate his presence. So I think it matters. So I think celebration matters. So that's the dedication. So what about the good part? What about the celebration? Well, friends, you celebrate things that you find glorious. Would you agree? Okay, let's, let's back that up. Let's zoom out a little bit. What do you find glorious? Well, let, the, honestly, when you look at this text, it feels like a concert. It feels like a parade. It feels like a stadium. We celebrate things like that. We celebrate sporting events. We will lose our minds, right? Screaming and celebrating when our team goes into victory. We, it's not just enough to listen to songs. We want to be in the presence of these musicians. We want to see them and hear them. We want to feel the music. We want to be a part of that. We celebrate things that we find glorious, things that lift us out of the mundane and make us feel like there's something greater than our lives. Something that makes us feel like we're, we're, we're in a place that we don't even remember. Connects us to God himself. It's transcendent. These are the things that we find glorious, and everybody does that. We are designed for that. You are meant to enjoy God through celebration. All of us are. Um, let me just jump into a quote by C.S. Lewis, because he's really good at expressing this. And this is out of a book called A, a Word About Praising. Or actually, the, that's his essay, but the short book is Reflections on the Psalms. And he, he, let me just read this quote. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise is not merely expressing, but completing our enjoyment. It's the appointed consummation. You can't fully enjoy God or anything until you express it in praise. I mean, we talked about food last week. I guarantee you, if you're a foodie and you love food and you just had the best meal of your life, you'll be on social media, you'll be calling your mom, you're talking to everybody. We gotta go to this restaurant, it's amazing, you gotta try this, you gotta try that. You praise it. You can't actually enjoy it fully until you express it in celebration and in praise. It's the same with God. We can't actually jump in to the place God has for us with enjoying him until we praise him, until we speak it. Hey, so what is um, the chief end of man? Westminster Confession of Faith, you've heard this? Our kids probably know it better than we do. What is it? Anybody? What is the chief end of man? Glorify God and enjoy him forever. You got it? So I think we get the glorify God part, but do we? Because you can't glorify God unless you are also enjoying him. God wants no begrudging submission. Yes, he's holy. Yes, we should fear him. But he has created you to glorify him through enjoyment. And this is what's happening at this celebration. 
The Levites are purifying the people of God, getting them ready to be in the presence of God. And then the singers are leading them. They're leading out so that they can sing the praises and enjoy God and express him publicly. Hmm. So what does Israel find glorious? Well, the completed wall is kind of glorious, yes. But that was never the goal, was it? It was worship. They find God glorious. They find him glorious. Let's look at what they did. We got a slide for that. I want you to see it. It looks like a stadium. So the first choir goes through the dung gate, or the valley gate, actually, and goes past the dung gate on the south all the way up to the water gate. Friends, these are singers. They are up on the wall, followed by leaders, followed by priests with trumpets. And in the Old Testament, the trumps the priests had were all about calling people in. Sometimes Moses had something to say, blare the trumpets. Like, it's attention-getting. And the second choir, I think Nehemiah goes with them, they come out the valley gate and they go up north. And they encircle the whole place. And although it's hard to tell what the circumference is, maybe a mile and a half or so, it's probably responsive. It's probably maybe a 3,000-foot gap between the two walls in certain places. And they're so loud, they can hear each other and respond to one another. And these two processions come down off of the wall and probably into the temple courtyard to be before the presence of God. And they make sacrifice and they praise him and they worship him. And it's loud and it's responsive. Do you remember when Nehemiah first got to Jerusalem? You know the first thing he did? He got on a horse. He rode out the valley gate. He did the circuit. It was in shambles. Remember that? Look what God did. Do you remember Tobiah? He was kind of the foil. Remember how much fun? Haven't they making fun of him and everybody in chapter 4? I love this. Oh, are you going to restore it for yourself? Are you going to sacrifice? You going to finish this thing up? You going to make these dead stones come to life? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're building, but if a fox goes on it, it's going to break down. Where are you at, Tobiah? You want to come up on the wall? We've got the choir. We've got half the whole of Israel up here, standing on it, praising God, making much of Him to your face." This is God's victory. Glory is hard to explain. It's hard to say this is glorious. But I can tell you this. Glory happens when God's holiness goes public. Not just by idea, from his people. Now, we we know Psalm 119, right? The heavens declare the glory of God, his handiwork. Friends, glory happens when God's holiness, his beauty, his power, his magnificence, his gentleness, his comfort, his love go public. Friends, the most wonderful thing and dangerous thing about every single one of you here right now, regardless if you would call yourself a Christian or not, is that you are made for glory. So you will seek it out 
That's wonderful, but it's dangerous. And here's why it's dangerous. Because you will find things that are glorious and you will attach your life for them. Instead of living to reflect and show the beauty and the glory and the name of God, you will start trying to justify and make a name for yourself and pull that glory into yourself and it will crush you. Old Testament calls it idolatry. And you're seeing something of the glory of God and you're stopping there. And you're building a life around that. Friends, you are designed for this, to show off and to enjoy the beauty and the power and the holiness and the infinite worth of God. Instead of living to define and defend your own name. This is what he's called us to do. And you can't do it without celebration. Your instinct is right. Your heart is wrong. This is loud. This is responsive, and it includes everyone. How do you close that gap between what you want in life and where you are? Here's the safe way, cynicism. You take a blessing and you turn it into a curse. Well, I know that's happening, but it's probably going to fall apart. Yeah, I'm in this relationship and it's going great, but I'm sure it's going to end. That's cynicism. That's how you, because hope is very dangerous because you've been burned. You're not meant to anchor your hope here, but you've built a pattern where you constantly turn blessing into curse. We're made to celebrate. We're made to celebrate what's most glorious, which is the living God. So, what do we do with that? You can't get away from it. You can't, don't, please don't stop seeking and chasing after what's glorious. So here's how we bring this into our life. I believe this is the call of the text for us today. The call is this. For us to take the God who's on our hearts and put him on our lips. That's it. Take the God on your heart. Let this God on our hearts be on our lips. Now, we're good many times at um, looking like Christ in our actions, but the cost of being a Christian is becoming inching higher and higher and higher. So you're going to lose if you're publicly speaking of God, even if it's in praise and saying, man, I really love God. What? What do you mean by that? What kind of Christian are you anyway? Because blah, 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 blah. So let this God of your heart, the one who loves you, be on your lips. I'm going to give you three ways, or maybe just two ways, that the text pulls us into to do that this week. One is to speak his glory. Just speak it. Say it. Get it out. Like it just, it, almost like Jeremiah, you're, you're just burning up inside, right? Your bones are on fire. You just get it out. Let it come out of your mouth in the simplest, cleanest, clearest ways. If you look at the way this text starts in the very beginning, in chapter 27, it talks about, or I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 27. They're dedicating it, and it says that uh, to celebrate the dedication with gladness and thanksgiving and singing. The word gladness is joy in God's person. It's not just a, 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 a general feeling of joy and gladness. It's well-being based on the person of God and your interaction with him and that he loves you first and that he's fully committed to you. 
and he's made atonement for you. And he delights in you, and he dances and sings over you, if we understand the Old Testament correctly. So it's gladness in the person of God. So speak this glorious truth. Express your delight in God. Make this joy personal because it's personal to God. So express him. Speak his glory. And it talks about thanksgiving in there, and that's just gratitude. That's just posturing your heart in gratitude. So speak his glory, and secondly, share his glory. You can't enjoy God the way he's called you to enjoy him unless you share him with other people. So you can speak his glory in your prayer closet if you want, but you can't share it. You can't share his glory with others. Uh, look, what, look, look how this little section ends. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. It was aggressive. They're speaking and they're singing and their glory in the living God went even further than Jerusalem. Other people heard it and no doubt were drawn in to see what was going on. Friends, one of the reasons our joy is elusive is because we just don't share it anymore. We don't speak of God's goodness in our lives. Well, how do we do that? Share God's excellence with people just like, Talk to him like he's a, talk about him like he's real. Can we start there? Um, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna read you a quick email uh, from Pastor Sadakhar, and he's um, our partner church in Hyderabad, India. We haven't been there for over a year, and we can't even support them anymore because it's illegal um, to actually send funds and to help them and to go help them at this point. But I got an email from him this week because uh, not this last December, but like what, maybe 16, 17 months ago, we, were, we actually raised enough money to build a building for them in Sarampet, which is one of their villages where they have a couple orphanages, a boy's house and a girl's house. And we built another building for them. It was like 30 grand. And like, you guys did that. And he said, just out of the blue, thank you, Pastor Jason. Whenever I am in Sarampet Village, I go for a prayer walk in the morning and thank the Lord for the building your church has sponsored. I'm praying it should be used throughout the year, training pastors, community purposes, really missing your church and your team. Hope the COVID goes away soon. He can't even send, he can't even send me an email without thanking God. That is exactly what we're talking about. He's speaking the glory of God. He's sharing the glory of God, even to me, all the time. So let's, you're not getting this? Are you getting this? Are we on the same page? Let's try it. You gonna try this right now? We're gonna share the glory of God publicly. So we don't have time to go outside and do what they did, but we're gonna speak a word. It's called hallelujah. Have you heard this word before? It's in the Bible. Let me read it to you just so you know I'm not making this up. Revelations 19, verse 6, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude Oh, wow, this sounds a little bit like what's happening here in Jerusalem. Like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Do you know what that was victory over? Babylon. And everything it stands for by Christ. Resurrection done powerful. Hallelujah. So you know what hallelujah means? It's a compound word. Hallel means boast or to praise, or to speak of. And Yah is a short form of Yahweh. So hallelujah means God be praised. So we're going to do it. I'm going to count to three, and let's do, sing it out. We're just going to say hallelujah together. Ready? One, two, three. Hallelujah. Wow, that was really good. You guys planned this out? You heard about it from the first service, didn't you? 
Let's do it again. Let, let's, let's push it up a little bit. One, two, three. Hallelujah. Mm, that'll move eternity. You're made for that. You feel that? You're made to do that. Friends, stop turning blessing into curse just because you can't control your future. That's not your call. That was Jesus' call. He didn't stand on the wall. He was drug outside the wall. Right? He was blessed. He was glorious. God the Son. And he pushed that out and took on your curse and my curse, our sin, made purification for our sin, busted out of the grave, ascended to the Father, kicks open access for you right now. You can know God through faith and be clean and be restored. Let him take that curse. You celebrate him. Let's do that. Let's, let's put this God who is on our hearts, on our leaps. Let's speak his glory. Let's share it. Dear Lord, we thank you. We praise you. You're good. You're good. I pray that you would pour your spirit out even as we enjoy you for the rest of this service, God, that we might celebrate you with hearts that are lifted out, Lord, lifted out of the frustration and the pain and the fear and the sickness and the death that's all around us. Put us with you now, Lord. Let us see your glory and enjoy it. In the name of Jesus, amen.